Good morning, dear friends. Thanks for being in our church today. It is an honor to have you in our midst. Um, just thinking about uh, that last song and how music is so interesting in church life, right? And it, it's such a personal taste of what you like and don't like and what uh, turns your crank and what, you know, flattens the, the heart of yours. And, and uh, songs come in a variety of ways. Um, uh, so sometimes we speak to each other, which is uh, Ephesians chapter 5, that we're supposed to sing to each other, and we encourage each other in faith. Did you notice the last song? Hey, can, uh, can we put the words of the last song back up on the screen? Was it a long night, Christian? Oh, there you go. Thanks. This is sung prayer. This, this is a vertical song, isn't it? This, this is not us singing to each other to encourage us in the faith. This is, Lord, speak to us as we come to you. Keep going. To receive the food of your holy word, take your truth and plant it deep. We, we just were, we were singing a prayer. I don't know if you even realize that or not. Sometimes, uh, you know, we kind of mindlessly go through our church world and we don't even latch on to exactly what we're doing here. This is a pretty powerful prayer. I don't know if you understood that or not. Keep going. Shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today. In our acts of love, in our deeds of faith, speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. That's a beautiful prayer, you guys. I should be able to preach after that, right? Because you, if you just honestly prayed that, you should be ready for any bone I throw you with a sliver of meat on it. And you're going to go, oh, that was such a banquet, right? Um, music is an interesting thing in the local church. It is a thing of personal taste. Uh, recently, uh, we were told that we're just so old-fashioned that people couldn't attend our church, and that was the week after someone told us we were so contemporary they couldn't go to our church, and why don't we hold books and sing the hymns, and where's the organ? You know, it, it, we could go on and on. It never ends. Substance over style is always what's important, you guys, every time. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a 70s rocker. You, you think church music makes any sense to me at all? I'm like, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me. Let's go, man. Let, and then, but anyhow, um, but substance is more important than the style. Personal preference should always take a back seat in deference to each other. Some Sundays, the music is, oh, oh yeah, that, that hit with me. And some Sundays it hit with someone else. It's okay. Did y'all know that? So over the years we have chosen not to divide our church over music styles. We don't have contemporary, traditional. We do that very much on purpose. We are equal opportunity offenders. <laughs> we are going to make everybody unhappy at some time. Because you're going to go, oh man, I just didn't connect with that. It's okay. As long as it's God-honoring. And as long as the words have the substance and the truth of, the, of our faith in them, we need to embrace them regardless of our preferred styles. There you go. 
that's my first commercial today. That was the little sermonette before the actual sermon. I feel much better. I've unloaded myself and the families that have left, didn't, they're not here to hear that message, so I guess it was irrelevant. But anyhow, thanks for being at Headwaters today. We're in the book of Philippians chapter 4. I really messed up and forgot to write down the page numbers today. So, because someone can holler out that page number, that would be great. For the, if, you're, if you're not used to being around the Bible and there's one in the chair and you want to follow along and I'm going to be bouncing around, I'm going to need some help this morning to do that. So, what page number is that? What is it? 982. Jennifer, you're my uh, designated yeller outer of the day. 982 in that book. Um, you know, our Bibles say a lot about faith and they tell us, uh, it tells us, uh, a number of things about how faith works in our life. For example, Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9 says that it is a gift from God. This faith thing that we have, Scott prayed about it, or abiding in the vine, it is a gift from God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says you can't please God without it. Isn't that interesting? There's no way for you to please God without faith. You have to believe that He is. You have to believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. If you do not believe that, you cannot find pleasure in him. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it, it is the faith is the conviction about things that are not seen. Um, I uh, had a funeral yesterday for Rose Hensley and talked about this interesting dynamic in the, in the Christian life between having your mind engaged and believing. And oftentimes we think that faith is a leap in the dark, a blind leap in the dark, when actually it is an invitation to thinking. Faith is not uh, where you check your mind out. It is actually uh, informed and intelligent submission to the truth. So God does not want you to come to church and put your mind in neutral. He doesn't want you to show up here today and stop pondering Him. Actually, your faith should draw you in to a deep intellectual pursuit of what is true. And uh, it is our thinking that will be addressed here in Philippians chapter 4. Let me read the passage to you. And if you don't mind standing, since the author was divine, maybe we should honor him uh, by acknowledging it as such. Two verses that you're probably very familiar with. Let's think about them together. Finally, brothers, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, here's your command, think about these things. It was not an option. You're commanded to do it. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, here's your second command, practice these things. And then you have this overwhelming presence of God 
the God of peace will be with you. Thinking and doing is an invitation to divine presence in your life. Let's pray. Father, we're very grateful to open your word this morning, and uh, we do submit our minds to you, not mindlessly, fully engaged with all the mental capacities you've given each one of us to think about you today, to fill our minds with the things that are pleasing in your sight, and to invite you into our moment-by-moment existence on this earth as your presence becomes our companion in our life's journey. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for the hope that it brings us. Help us to learn more about it and to walk in its light and truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, in your notes, I gave three kind of introductory statements about faith, and let me go over those somewhat rapidly with you. And the first one is the, what faith has to do with your heart. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Jennifer, what page number is that? You ready, Jennifer? We're, we're going to go together. You and I are going to make this happen. 946. I feel like someone should yell bingo or something, right? 946, 940. Anyhow, here's what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what will happen? You'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from you. Um, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There is thinking and doing. But faith comes in your heart. It resides in the inner you and transforms the inner you and gives you a new heart. Old things are passed away. All things become new, including this inner you. It's a beautiful picture. It is one that should be cherished and pursued uh, above all things. So Romans chapter 8, faith is something that transforms my heart. That transformed heart now begins to beat in a different way, right? I have new priorities. Well, what happens to my mind? Turn one page back in Romans chapter 8. Jennifer, you don't have to yell this one out because we're going to be able to go one page back. Chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you see the connection between the heart and the mind? They're so closely connected, I don't even know if we can separate them. They may be one and the same thing if you think about you know, if you're a trichotomous or a dichotomous or a bichotomous, how many cotomous do you have? What, how many parts do you exist? And so on. Here you have your Bible saying this, that your heart and your head are connected. And you set your mind on things. 
Um, again, faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is an invitation to thinking in the light. And it is critical that you not be passive in your mind about your faith. You say you believe, James will say, good job, the demons believe. It's not enough to say you believe. You must engage your mind in your faith. Third one, faith in your hands. James chapter 2. Jennifer, were you ready ahead of time? Would you want to come up and finish the message for me? <laughs> 10 11, Jennifer says. Thank you, Jennifer, for helping. I'm embarrassed that I forgot. I just I realized it during the song service, and there was no chance I was going to do anything about it then. So here we go. <clears throat> Verse 14 of James chapter 2, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in food, and one says to him, Go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them anything that needs, what good is that? So is faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If someone says to you, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe. And they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that fake faith apart from works is useless? That's a strong statement, isn't it? Why do I bring all this up? Your belief in your heart, your faith, transforms who you are so that you now think about different things and behave in different ways. Are you ready for the punchline? It's, it's going to be a little confrontational. Are you ready? Faith that does not affect your thinking and faith that does not affect your behavior isn't faith. Uh, do y'all remember COVID? Do you ever stick that thing up your nose? I mean, the one in your own house where you had to do it on your own because, you know, you had a sniffle or a headache or something. You go, oh, no, I've got the thing. And so you get the little thingy, and I can tell you that I, and you put it up there until it tickles and makes you sneeze and and then you take the fun stuff that comes out of your nose and you stick it in the thing and you squirt the stuff in there and you put it in the deal and it's got the two little lines in there. And you, you might have guessed that I've done this before. And there's a thing called a false positive. At, at that moment, it goes, well, this isn't really as accurate as it could be. What we really need to do is, you know, remove your head and then we can find out if you really have it or not. And then, then we'll know for sure. You'll be dead, but it's, you know, we'll know whether you had it or not. You could get a false positive. You could, you could do everything right and look and behave in certain ways and go, oh, gosh, I've got the thing. There are spiritual false positives, you guys. There, there are people who look like they began with faith, but never followed it up with thinking and behavior, to which we then go, wow, was that real? What happened to them? 
Our passage that we read in Philippians is an invitation. That's stronger than an invitation. It is a command to take that which is in your heart, have it affect your mind at such a level that your hands and feet do something. And if we cannot get there, we ought to ask our own selves some tough questions. So, let's walk through the passage. Philippians 4, 8 gives a list. I'll cover the list in just a moment. And at the end of verse 8, it gives a command to do with the list. Think about these things. The book of Philippians has been a lot about the mind. We have seen it repeatedly. Um, we could go back to chapter 2 and verse uh, 2. Complete my joy being of the same mind. Verse 5. Have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus. Um, chapter 3 verse 15 uh, 14, if I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward calling of God. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Um, verse 19, the description of those who are anti-Christian. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. Their minds are on earthly things. It's been repeated over and over in this book that our minds ought to be engaged on spiritual things. We ought to be thinking about uh, things that are from God and from above and set our, our minds up there instead of on just the things we can see. The beautiful thing about faith is it gives you the ability to see what is unseen. You're not trapped by just what your senses perceived. Because of your new heart, you can see beyond that. Um, in Rose's funeral yesterday, I suggested that that causes us to think about different types of questions. For example, where did you come from? I mean all the way back, okay? Not, not I'm from uh, Kentucky. Uh, not, 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 not where did you come from? Uh, where, where did it all start? Faith has answers to that. Science struggles with that. Science keeps adding billions of years so that their theories might work out. Right? I'm trying to be kind. Faith lets me know that when I look in the mirror, I see a creator. Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully, what? Made. I didn't fearfully and wonderfully evolve. I am not a cosmic accident of particles of the universe colliding with each other gazillions of years ago that now made me me. Last I checked, when two automobiles share the same space, things do not get better. You know, two, two Chevys don't run into each other in the intersection and a Mercedes comes out of them. <laughs> but that's evolution. Evolution is 
is a couple of Chevys running into each other somewhere back in the universe, and guess what came out of it? It's a Bentley. Oh, I'm sorry. It's an EV car. It's a Tesla. Because God would have never had combustible engines in his plan. I apologize. Evolution's still happening. Um, in this passage, when it says, think about these things at the end of verse 9, Paul dug into a vocabulary that he hasn't used previously. And uh, it has some nuance to it. It means to concentrate on something. So in the other passages where it says, have the mind of Christ, be this, have your mind this and do your mind that. Those are kind of big general picture of what our mind should be. This passage tells you what to concentrate on that will have the effect of bringing the mind of Christ to you. It is very, very interesting. So here's the idea. Here's the emphasis. What do you think about? What's the priority of your thoughts? What are the things that take first place in your mind? That's what he's commanding here. We'll get to the list in a second. Well, the good news is the Bible isn't just going to say, have the mind of Christ. It's going to give you six things to think about that will bring the mind of Christ to your everyday life. The second thing that this word kind of says to me is the majority of what I think about are these things. They're the most important things that I think about, and they have the greatest number of my thoughts. That's what the word means when it says consider, contemplate, um, ponder. The word's used over and over in the book of Romans. It's translated weirdly, reckon. Reckon something. Give your mind to it, not just the concept of it. Here are things that should uh, overwhelm your thinking. Um, in the Christian world, in the modern evangelical world, we talk about having devotions. Do you all know what having devotions is? Uh, devotions is when you open your Bible and say, Lord, speak to me, right? Lord, I want to know you better. It, it involves prayer and usually opening the Bible and letting that divine word touch our lives. We call it devotions. I'm having devotions. Um, You know what devotions is? It is filling your mind with noble thoughts. It, it is opening up the gas tank of your soul and putting into it the things of God so that you can go to war with the things that are not from God, which will probably interrupt your devotions. And that's why we can't ever let the, that part of our life just become a mindless, repetitious activity. If you're going through your devotions and not finding yourself more devoted, change your devotions. Do something different. Stimulate that great brain that your Creator gave you and find yourself overwhelmed by his thinking. 
I'll give you an illustration from my life. When I was in college, I was brand new in my faith. I was just saturating my mind with the scriptures and talking to God, and everything was brand new. So I was like, oh, I haven't really had a lot of bad experiences here yet. You know, haven't been to church very long. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's when you go to church, you go, oh, man, this faith thing, I don't know. These Christians are weirdos, man. They say one thing and do another and don't even say the things. Anyhow, um, and I was a construction worker, high-paid, high-paid broom pusher. I was the lowest guy on the crew, which meant all the lousy jobs. Hey, dig this footer. Great, what do I use? There's a shovel. Enjoy. I dug footers with shovels. Um, We had finished building this little duplex thingy, and it was time to sell it. My boss was going to sell it. And he said, hey, Such, what? Go sweep the sidewalk out front. Um, Just to let, for you young people, we didn't have blowers. It was really the dark ages. I mean, they had this thing. It had a stick on it. And it had these little funny little, uh, uh, what what do you want to call them, little whiskery type things on the bottom. And you shoved it around into a pile and then you scooped it up and you put it in a bucket. It's called a broom. And I'm, it's in Florida, okay. It's like a gazillion degrees out. And I'm just sweeping my little sidewalk. And I had this weird thought. I wonder how I'd sweep this sidewalk if Jesus asked me to sweep it. Now, where did that thought come from? Sure didn't come from Norm, my boss. He didn't say, hey, make sure you do it as if Jesus just asked you to sweep it. And all of a sudden, my mentality about my work changed because I had filled my mind with divine thoughts. See, the devotions were transforming me, and all of a sudden, my sidewalk, you could have eaten lunch off of my sidewalk, man. I was, this is my sidewalk that I, this is my great service to God today is to sweep this sidewalk. I will tell you this, don't think that anything you do is minimalistic before your creator. You can sweep a sidewalk to his glory. Hmm? There is honor in what you apply your mind to for the cause of Christ. I swept my little sidewalk, man, and I was pretty excited. And hopefully Norm, who was God to me at that moment because he was my boss, come along and say, hey, nice, nice sidewalk. It's a shame it took you four hours to do it. What, what are we doing here? I'm just kidding. Okay, so that's the emphasis It is uh, the priority of what I'm doing. It is the majority of what I'm thinking about. This is what I think about first. This is what I think about most. Let's go over the list. He gives six things and then what I would consider two summary statements. It is written in a... uh, 
I, I wished I could preach like, you know, black preachers. If you, you know how black preachers have that rhythm to what they're doing? And they just get going and the, the church goes with them. And before the, the whole place is in an uproar. If I could do that once before I die, that would be so amazing. But, but that's how this is written. Whatever, 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 whatever. Six times, and it's repeated in the original on purpose to con- just kind of to drag you through this repetitious thing, but bring a new truth every time. Whatever this, whatever that, whatever this. I don't think the list is exhaustive. The, the hard thing about preaching lists, and I've been doing this for years, and you, there, there are all kinds of lists in the New Testament. Um, they're not exhaustive. They're representative of things to think about. So that's the first thing. But I would also tell you another thing. As we go through this list, your thinking is formative. And what I mean by that is this. Thinking will produce doing. As you think on these six things and have the two summary thoughts, if there's anything that's praiseworthy, he'll say at the end. How can you think about justice and not go perform just things? How can you think about purity, fill your mind with purity, and spend the night in pornography? Get the idea? So when you start thinking about these things, it turns into behaviors. It was meant to. Let's talk about the list first. Let's go over the six. So here's the first one. Whatever is true. Our minds need to be saturated, not with the lies of this world, but with the truth of God in order to understand the lies of this world. John chapter 8, verse 44 says that Satan is the father of lies. My, my dear friends, the moment you woke up this morning, you woke up to a world full of lies. And they're coming at you. They're coming at you through your remote control. They're coming at you through your mouse. They're coming at I, We don't even have to do that anymore now. It's they, they're coming at you through your watch because now you can, like, talk to satellites with your watch or something and, you know, reframe the... Mars rover from your wrist, or I don't know what's going on. Have you been to lunch with that guy when you're kind of sitting there talking to the guy, and all of a sudden he keeps doing this, and you're like, dude, lunch is five minutes old. Well, he's checking his emails, right? The lies are coming at us very, very rapidly. Let me give you an example. Romans chapter one. Jennifer, are you ready? Romans chapter one. Did you know that ahead of time, Jennifer? You had James down. You didn't have Romans down. Okay. Is Jennifer amazing that she's letting me do this to her? What is it? 939, y'all. Bingo. 939. Verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness do what, class? What's it say? They suppress. Only one person in class today. They suppress the truth. You live in a world and a society of unrighteousness that suppresses the truth. Um, We can go down to verse 24 and 25. God gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity, 
to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Here come the lies. We live in a world full of non-truths. And they attack the gospel of Jesus Christ. They attack the truth that God is even there. You'll notice in this passage, they have rejected him as creator. They probably have PhDs. Which makes them look like they should know the truth. Let's never forget, follow the science. I'm good with the science. I'm worried about the scientist. I'm not afraid of the science. I know who wrote the science book. They haven't even figured it out yet. But they've rejected the science book writer, and therefore they now are making up stuff. That frightens me. I have to think about truth, whatever is true. I have to fill my mind with what's true. And that can come into application in all kinds of different ways. And second one, whatever is honorable, find the things in your mind that evoke respect and admiration. Reject vulgar things. Don't allow your mind to dwell on the vulgar. Replace those things with the things that draw you upward, things that draw you Godward. These are honorable things. Flood your mind with them. Let them be the majority of your thoughts. You get the idea? That's how this passage breaks out. Think on these things. Number three, whatever is just. A person who ponders what is just asks a simple question. What is right? Not what is easy, not what is popular, not what will make me friends with the person. What is right? And in asking what is right, you then will have right behavior. A simple one. Young people, a lot of children in the room right now. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Obey your parents in the Lord... You ready? For this is right. Well, I don't like my parents. I've got a better idea than them. I'm pretty sure playing in the street is a swell idea. I don't know why they set silly curfews. I'll come home when I please. As for the teens, a couple teens in the room. Oh, by the way, teenagers, can I just take a little, uh, uh, a little detour? This really isn't in the mess. This is bonus coverage since you're in the room. You know what teenagers want for their lives? They want to be independent, make their own decisions, come and go as they please. You know what your parents want for you? They want you to be independent. <laughs> come and go as you please and make your own decisions. So what's the problem? Timing. <laughs> the teenager thinks at 14 he ought to do that. The parent knows that's not true. And so adolescence becomes this struggle, not over what, but when. 
But when you're the teenager, your parents are blooming idiots. They don't know. And so you push and you push and you push. And your parents, it's Father's Day. Your father goes, no. And you're like, I can't stand that man. I'm never going to be like him. And that's what he said about his dad. And he's just like his dad. And that's how it works. I don't know if that had anything to do with that word. What was that? Oh, I was talking about just. Whatever's right. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. There is instruction for slave owners and how they're supposed to own their slaves. It's very difficult for us. It's a very explosive topic. But I'm not going to unpack all of that, but I'm going to say this. You're supposed to, as a Christian, treat your bondservants with great respect. Why? Because it's right. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer is with me this morning. The rest of you are like, I don't know. Why, why would I do that? I, I... You guys, we are being commanded to pursue what is just and right in every circumstance. And I know the whole social justice train is really tough on us Christians right now to try to figure out how to balance all that. But we are to do what is right. Um, let me take you to a passage. Proverbs chapter 31. Most of you will know uh, this as the great Mother's Day passage. I wish that it wasn't my Bible. I'm having a hard time finding it myself. 552. Jennifer, you are amazing. You're writing all these down, so next hour I have them, I hope, right? So in this great passage about the virtuous woman, right before it are two verses that caught my mind when I was reading through Proverbs. In verse 8 it says, Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Wow. Sounds like justice. It sounds like trying to help those who are in need because it's what, class? It's right. It's right. And there are things that we do because they're right. But you will never do what's right unless you're thinking about the things that are right. i got to move on. Whatever is pure is next. Um, focus your mind on the things that are morally blameless. Fill your mind with holy thoughts. Stop letting pornography define your life. I beg you, stop it. But you can't just say stop it, can you? No, you say replace it. You're going to think about something. Let's try some pure stuff. Let's roll into that. Let's not let that thing overwhelm us. Watch this. Romans chapter 13. Jennifer, you're on it. I, 948. This really is kind of a weird thing to have you yell these numbers out, you know? 
but I'm kind of liking it. Um, verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Think about the right things so you'll behave in the right way. We need to pursue purity and holiness in our lives. My friend Steve Dussault talks about, hug the mountain, man. That holy mountain. Get as close to it as it can. Usually I know what's holy and then I go, I wonder what will happen if I hang my toes over the edge. Get as close as I can to unholiness because it's stimulating my flesh. I, I, the holy mountain's right over here. Uh, this is way too interesting, right? Step away from the edge, you guys, and get back to the holiness of God in your life. Start thinking about pure things. Fill your mind with, stop listening to your society and what they say is right and just and true. It is not. Number five, whatever is lovely. And here in this list uh, is the first of two words that's the only time it's found in the entire New Testament. It has caused a lot of scholars to ask a simple question. Where did Paul get this list? And a lot of them would say that it was uh, an amalgamation of of moralistic thought in their culture, as well as the Old Testament. I don't really care. As far as I'm concerned, Paul took his thoughts, dipped them in the Holy Spirit, wrote them in the Bible, and wherever their origins are, they now became ours, even though it's the only time in the New Testament. And the idea is this, think on things that bring beauty, things that are pleasing, things that overwhelm you with awe, things that are lovely. Years ago, Aim and I were on vacation. We were in Arizona, and we drove to the Grand Canyon. And we stood there at the Grand Canyon and went, whoa. If you've ever been there, you're like, God did this. This is unbelievable. And of course, you know, we know our Bibles well enough to know that God just took his thumb and went, and there it was. That probably wasn't very scientific, was it? <laughs> Anyhow, I know. 60 billion years ago, the Colorado River cut a thing in and all that and whatever. After we left the Grand Canyon, we drove to Las Vegas. We had never been there before. We'd heard about it. You spend one day at the Grand Canyon, you spend the next day at Las Vegas, and guess what happens to you? There are things that are lovely, and there are things that are repulsive. The things that God does draw us awe, in awe. The things that man does want to stimulate us to the lower, base, evil parts of our life. Uh, we didn't stay in Vegas long, just wanted to let you know. Haven't been back since. 
you know, hit the daily double, you know, invest, I'm not a gambler. I don't even know what that means. That's a Jeopardy thing, isn't it? That's not a Vegas thing. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Number six, whatever is commendable. Again, the only time in the New Testament this word appears. Both lovely and commendable, the first and only times in the New Testament. These are carefully chosen words of admiration. Think about how to speak the right words. Let me give you an example. Ephesians chapter 4, which is just, you won't, we won't need Jennifer for this. Turn left a few pages. You'll run into the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and then verse 29. <clears throat> Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear those are commendable things in any given situation if you fill your mind with the right things when it comes time for your mouth to speak you'll actually say something that builds the people up around you these are things commendable we think about these things they're carefully chosen words that are admirable how about if we filled our lives with that? How about in our daily encounters with people, we try to find the word that brings beauty to the situation? Hmm. It might remove a lot of our conversation. Gossip, poof, gone. Now, it, this is followed up by two if statements. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, and I kind of take these two as Paul coming to the end of his list and saying, let me just throw a big blanket out there. If there's anything that's excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. A bit of a, a, a summary statement, if you will, of all that is above. If I left a word out of my virtue list, it's certainly covered if there's anything excellent, anything praiseworthy. Think on these things. Now, the picture painted then is this. Let your mind be filled, contemplate, concentrate, don't stop. The, the majority of what you're thinking about and the priority of what you're thinking about are these things. You let your mind dwell on those things that are true, good, honorable, beautiful, commendable. We could go on and on, pure. This becomes the true north of your thinking. This becomes what you point your mind toward on a daily basis. When you go to bed tonight and you drop your head on your pillow, before you allow yourself to go to sleep, what did you think about today? What dominated your thoughts today? Because... What's interesting to me is you can apply this type of thinking no matter what you do for a living. You can be a sidewalk sweeper, me, and you can find noble thoughts in that moment. Um, now, second command. Do these things. 
So you can't think about things that are just, things that are pure, without having your life pursue them. So he then says, excuse me, what you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, there are four verbs, he just piles them on top of one another, you know me, you, you, you have seen this in me, you have heard this from me, you have learned this from me, you have received this from me, practice these things. There's your second command. I want you to think in certain ways, and I want you to behave in certain ways. I have put them on display. I boiled it down into two things. Practice following. What are the things you should do? Find good examples and follow them. You don't have to be in charge all the time. I know this is America. Uh, What is it? The land of the free and home of the brave. And we, we, we express that by our rugged individualism. I'm not going to be beholden to anybody. That's not good Christianity. Good Christianity says, I need you. You guys, we need each other. On any given day, I might not be thinking such honorable things. You might pull me up out of the muck before I get into something really bad, right? That's what church is supposed to be. No one is asking you to do this alone. We gather here this morning to have our minds challenged to think noble things so that we will be noble people because we have a pure, holy God. And we are to challenge one another and strengthen one another. And when one of us falls flat on our face, we don't run over and kick dirt on them, do we? Do you know what we do? We do a forest gump. We sit down in the mud. with the person hurting and we help them out of it. You remember that scene? Maybe you don't know that movie. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but it's pretty interesting where the girl who was abused by her father comes to her childhood home and it's empty and she starts throwing rocks at the house because of all the pain inside of her. And then she breaks down and sits down in the mud And Forrest watches all this, and then he sits down in the mud next to her. And I'm watching that movie, and I go, man, I want to be Forrest Gump. I want to be that guy. I want to sit down in the mud with people who are in the mud. Because I care. Because I'm thinking noble thoughts. And someday I'm going to be the mud guy. I'm going to need you to sit down next in the mud with me. I I need you to be thinking noble thoughts. I need you to have purity in your heart. I need you to be thinking about commendable things. And so we practice following the example. Notice Paul's example. He's in prison, you guys. He doesn't get to come and go as he pleases. He's under house arrest. He's a convicted criminal. And he says, follow me. In the midst of his suffering, he finds joy. In the midst of his suffering, he finds God. Which brings me to the final point, and that is this. Experience presence. When you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. It is a powerful statement. Last Sunday, Luke taught this text, and you go back to verse 7, and he, he said, rejoice in the Lord always, let your reasonable be known. 
Don't be anxious about anything, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, which literally means that God's peace will build a fort around your heart. It's a really cool idea. But I want you to notice the difference in this one. It's not the peace of God which shows up. It's the God of peace. You are not alone, dear friends. When you set your mind on noble things, when you practice the things that you've seen and heard and learned and received, you will have the presence of the Lord next to you, with you, around you, above you, below you, in you. His Spirit will guide you in this journey. When you reject Him and take on falsehood and perversity and lack of justice, when your mouth is a source of pain rather than healing, you miss your Creator. The God of peace will accompany you no matter where you are in your journey. No matter where you are. There's no place that you can go, that his presence will not sustain you. All the way, you ready? To your grave. And he will be with you there. For at that moment, that faith that you have held on to, that has developed your mind, that heart that you have had all these years will turn into sight. And the one who has sustained you through the journey on earth will welcome you into eternity. I didn't know how to finish this message. I want all of us, I want me to be a better thinker. I want to be a better thinker because God deserves a more complete doer who carries this body around. But I will tell you this, as we pursue our faith in our mind, with our behavior, we do it with God at our side. And we behave in ways that are always pleasing to Him because He is the majority of what we think about and He is the priority of our existence. Dear friends, contemplate, consider these things. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and its clarity. We're cloudy, Lord. We're gray. You're standing there showing us light. Thanks for giving grace to the hearers this morning that they could sit here under a man's voice and hear you instead. That is amazing. I pray that you give them the courage to respond and act upon what you have shown them, not anything that I've said. And may you fill us, our minds, with great thoughts and noble thoughts and pure thoughts. Thoughts that are steeped in truth and lovely and help us to walk what we think. We pray in Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.